The Bear Down Report Podcast, featuring Jack Wright, Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, and your host, Ryan Dangle. Bear Down Report. All right, folks, welcome to a very special edition of the Bear Down Report Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dangle. I'm joined by Jack Wright. Jack, I got I to admit it, dude, a little bit of nerves going right now. This is the biggest guest we have ever had. Agreed? Agreed. I just watched the video that you sent me the uh, from Sports Illustrated. <laughs> it was so cool. And it got me excited as well, man. Well, you know, we'll, we'll give him an introduction when he comes in, but anybody that's listening to this podcast has seen the headline and seen who our guest is. Uh, and so we're, we're absolutely thrilled about this one. Folks, we couldn't be here without the amazing support of Jeff Cadwalder. Jeff has basically been with us since the start. If you are thinking about buying or selling a home, you couldn't find a better guy. And when I say that, it's not me reading off of a script. It's I bought and sold a home with Jeff Cadwallader, and this guy is unreal. He's the absolute best. He knows you need experience when it matters most. So you can visit GenevaJeff.com or you can give him a phone call or a text message. Jeff loves text messages. 630-254-4734. Jeff Cadwallader. If you're even thinking about it, folks, do yourself a favor, give him a call, give him a text, check out GenevaJeff.com. You will not be disappointed. Sheridan's Barbershop, located in historic downtown Wheaton, Illinois, has been serving the community for 67 years with five barbers and open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. They have appointments available to book online or by phone at your convenience. You can go to sheridansbarbershop.com or you can call 630-668-0137 and book yours today. Sheridan's Barbershop, where traditional meets modern. I just have to mention quickly, Ryan knows I got my haircut there, I want to say two or three weeks back, and it still looks outstanding. That's on Will. That's not me trying trying to pat my own back. He did such a great job. This haircut still looks good two, three weeks out. So very impressed. Go see him as soon as you can. I I think, Jack, it's okay to say both of us were very fortunate. We have a full head of hair. Uh, unlike one of our co-hosts, uh, we love you shells. Um, but I, I, I swear to you, I I tell people this and they're like, stop, stop. I'm not flexing. It's a, it's a promotion of will I've gotten stop in the street. Someone said, dude, where'd you get your haircut? Sheridan's barbershop. Absolutely love those guys. Folks for this episode, we have a very special sponsor, uh, and we're, we're thrilled about it. How would you feel if you could take your financial life to the house, Devin Hester style? The diehard Bear fans at RM Financial Group will prepare an efficiently designed financial game plan to take you all the way into the end zone. It is their mission to partner with professionals and closely held businesses in lifelong creation and execution of a comprehensive financial plan. The end result being clarity, confidence, and peace of mind. For initial consult, call my guy. Tom Rossi, diehard Bear fan, phenomenal guy, 630-368-3127, or visit www.rmfg.nm.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. That's www.rmfg.nm.com. All right, folks, beyond excited. 
I, I, I can't really put into words how, how wonderful this is. I'm just going to give you a few little, little teasers here. 38 interceptions. He was a 10th round selection, 10th round. That took me a little while. 10th round selection of the Miami Dolphins before making his way to the Chicago Bears for 12 years. He graduated from Barrington High School. That's right, folks. We're talking to number 45 himself, Gary Fensick. Gary, thank you so much for being on the Bear Down Report podcast. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, the NFL only has, I think, seven rounds today. So I was not only in the 10th round, which doesn't exist anymore, but I was 10B. There was a 10A. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So tell us really quick, you know, you, you go to Yale, obviously, you know, must have been just that in and of itself, going to Yale was a really, really big deal for you. And then you end up playing for your hometown team. Can you just kind of maybe sort of put into words what that was like? And then also what the aftermath of winning a Super Bowl in Chicago was like? Right. Well, you know, it obviously means a lot to be able to play for a team that you've been cheering for your entire life. And, um, you know, being drafted by, by the Dolphins was really fantastic. I mean, you don't go to an Ivy League school to think you'll even be drafted. So it's not like, you know, that was my dying thing if I didn't make it in the NFL. But I, you know, I, I was pretty fortunate. I got injured early in a game where Bobby Douglas uh, was with the New Orleans Saints and he completed a short pass. I hit this guy and turned out I broke my ribs and popped my lung. Wow. And so I made it to the very final cut. I got cut on Labor Day. I was on my way to become a little baby banker in New York. And the Bears called me up to do a one-day tryout, and I was going to do the same in Pittsburgh. And after I got done with practice, they said, uh, the general manager wants to talk to you. And they ended up signing me. I couldn't believe it. And either could my girlfriend at the time in New York. So uh, I was a scrub my first year, but I was on the Chicago Bears. And it was an honor to do it. I thoroughly enjoyed. And I played 12 years, and I had one starting halfback for the entire time that I played in a bear uniform, and that was Walter Payton. So, um, you know, we went through some lows, some highs, and I think for Walter and I, we were both the oldest starters on offense and defense in the Super Bowl, and to be able to finally win one, and to know the impact that that would have on the city of Chicago, and that whole season, every week, every game was so special, as you look back and go, wow, it, uh, it takes a lot to win, including being lucky uh, and lucky in terms of injuries and getting a break. And we were able to do all of that in one magical year. Gary, have you ever bought your own drink in the city of Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> there was a time where, you know, it was, you know, it was very good to be a 85 bear. Let's put it this way. You know, I actually was with some guys, Bob Thomas, who's now a Supreme Court judge. And uh, we had a get together of like the 81 bears. Nobody asked about the 79, <laughs> 83, right? Yeah, 85 bears, you know, once you hear the Super Bowl shuffle, you know, you're going to get grief from there on out. So um, it was a very special year. And you look back and, you know, people go, why couldn't you won more than one? And it just, you know, injuries, McMahon couldn't stay healthy, you know, a variety of things. And my last year was a strike as well. And you just go, wow. Uh, in retrospect, that was even a more magical year that it only happened once. Gary, thanks so much for being on. We know it's difficult to pick just one, but can you try to pick a favorite memory that comes to mind from your time 
as a Chicago Bear? You know, it's really hard. I mean, the 85 is the penultimate, right? And so it's got to be that season. I mean, just, you know, one, my first start with Doug Plank was on a Monday night game against the LA Rams. And Joe Namath was their quarterback. And I got my first career interception off the last interception that Joe Namath ever, ever threw. And I checked it with with wow. uh, with Joe and Doug, who didn't get a lot of interceptions. I, he had two that night, so it was a Monday night game in Chicago. We win the game, and uh, you know that was a pretty special moment. But you know, I had two picks in the NFC Championship game that we lost against the 49ers off Joe Montana. Wow! So that was great. But you know, you, you just the whole experience of winning the the game in. Uh, the first playoff game against the Giants in 85. But of all of those two games with the Rams and the Giants, when Wilbur Marshall picked up that fumble in the Rams game and it started to snow, wow, that was that is without question the best memory because I was chasing him. The snow is going and you know you're running going, we're going to the Super Bowl. That was a great moment. It's just, it's incredible. Gary, can you just talk briefly about how you think the game has changed since you played? Well, it, you know, it's, it's changed a lot in terms of, yes, you know, 30 years later, people are bigger, faster, stronger. And football is a, is a 12-month sport. When I was playing and all the people before me, you would have an off-season. They would encourage you to go to House Hall. But today, you know, with the dollars that they're paying, so I think people are trained a lot better. But also just looking at it from a defensive standpoint, you know, the, the normal, and I don't know what that would be, but certainly over 50% would be a tight end. You'd have a fullback. And today it's three or four wide receivers are really the normal. And so the passing games emphasize, I feel bad for the defensive backs because you know, some of these pass interference calls are like, whoa, are you, where, where did that happen? Uh, but it's a passing game more than a balance game. And so, um, you know, more points, very exciting, great athletes. But, you know, there's, there is a big difference in the philosophy, and that's a, it's become a passing game. And God forbid you, you touch, the, you know, even if you breathe on the quarterback, you might, if he falls over, he, he may get a penalty even if nobody in him. Especially if he's wearing the number 12. Right. And right. I'm a little biased on that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> people go, wow, you, I would be fined out of the league today, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> I, I thought it was cheap back then. I'd be pay, playing for free today. On that point, Gary, it seems like the onus has been put on the defensive player to protect offensive players. And I think we all want players to be protected yeah. and like to have less concussions. But I, I'm just trying to imagine how that would translate for you when you were playing. You know, I think you adjust. I think you adjust to all conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the worst game I ever played in, in terms of conditions was we had to win the game in, 1977 against the New York Giants. They were going nowhere, and we had to win that game. And Walter was trying to set the single-season rushing uh, record. And um, that was my first year starting. And so our equipment manager said, yeah, Jack Purdy, our coach at the time, uh, said, bring all your shoes. I go, we're playing on artificial turf. Why would I bring all my shoes? But, you know, I was very obedient, put all my shoes in there, grass shoes and turf. Well, it turned out it sleeted the entire game. And I used, you know, turf, you know, grass shoes. And I had one pair just coincidentally that instead of, you know, screwing on the spikes, usually the spike uh, would be in the 
the cleat. And I had a pair of shoes and I didn't know it that actually had the screw in the shoe. And so I took off some of these spikes and I was playing in the second half on screws in the ice. And if I had, if I had run over anybody, I would have punctured them. But uh, that was a brutal game. Walter, you know, you couldn't run. We went into overtime. We won the game. And I've never been so cold in my life. So that, that was an awful memory. But we won. It was a fun one. Gary, just very quickly, before we talk about the current state of the Bears, can you just, what was Walter Payton like? I know we've seen, you know, I've, I've read the Never Die Easy. We've seen interviews and stuff like that. But, but what was he like? Well, one, it was really encouraging to watch him play. And I say that only because, you know, there were some teams that I was on that didn't have great records, but you never quit. Uh, I, I take that because I had Doug Buffon as a mentor and some of the other older players. But when you look on the field and this guy is fighting for every single yard and exploding into a would-be tackler and taking his ball and always reaching out for one more yard and would never, ever, ever run out of bounds – you could be behind three touchdowns and he wouldn't go. He'd just take the punishment. It was encouraging to me. It was like, wow, if that guy's going to give it, no matter what, you can't let down on the defensive side. But he was funny too. And, you know, when after football, he, if I was at a black tie dinner, he'd pick me up from behind until really kind of panicking. You couldn't breathe or grab your knuckles, but really have you go down to the ground or, you know, lick your ear. I mean, just something, but he never gave you the, Hey, uh, good to see you. And he's going on to the next guy. He always made people feel special. And that was, that was a great gift. Great gift. Man. Uh, if it's okay, Gary, we'd love, we'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, the team now, I know you're staying uh, abreast of the situation. You're, you're kind of watching this, this, this current team. And so I, I guess, you know, the, the question that's on pretty much every bears fans mind is why do you think the bears have had such a difficult time bringing another championship to the city of Chicago? You know, I, I wish I had that answer. I'm sure the bears wish they had that answer. You know, part of it is luck. I mean, really you have to, but I don't think being consistent, is luck. I think that's really process and preparation and really putting the right people in place. And so when you take a look, Ryan, at the first and second round draft choices from the late 70s until the Super Bowl, it's shocking how good it is. I mean, you had Dan Hampton, Hall of Famer, Jimbo Covert, Jimbo Covert and Willie Galt, Van Horn, Walter, Suey. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. You know, Mike Singletary was only a second-round draft choice. He had Wilbur Marshall. And, you know, even the Fridge, a first-round draft choice. My gosh, what great scouting. And, you know, allowed you to really build a team that can last, isn't coming in at age 27 or 28, and has three or four years left. But this, they could be here for a decade. And a lot of them were. And that was really, really key. And, of course, we didn't have free agency back there. So I, I think it's really trying to, you know, what is your plan, getting a little bit of luck. I think today, too, and I, I can't substantiate how, but I know that certain teams use analytics a lot more. And I have to believe, I have to believe that there are analytical capabilities that are allowing general managers and head coaches to make better decisions on how they're building their units. We always talk about individuals, but I really think you have to look at units. 
Because if you're looking at, oh, I have a really good cornerback, but the rest of the secondary is not as strong. Well, I, I can isolate. If you want to have your best cornerback and your best player on the secondary on my best wide receiver, that's okay. I can kind of work around that. But, um, you know, an offensive line, if you have a weakness at a guard or tackle, doesn't really matter. We're going to be able on the defensive side to be able to scheme that to be able to really isolate that weakest link and we're going to ex- we're going to exploit it. So um, I, I think that's where if you look and go, where has it not gone right for the Bears? I think the Bears formula this time was, hey, then the Rams did this as well. Get a quarterback on his first contract. You can pay the defensive guys. And by the time that guy gets and we get to the Super Bowl and he'll be in his second contract, we'll work it there. And that's what the Bears plan looked to me like they were trying to do. And hey, you know what? That defense is pretty good. It was really good. And I was up in the first game on a Sunday night when Mac was like, oh my gosh, up in Lambeau? I was like jumping for joy. It was like, <laughs> this, this guy is it, it, better than I, than I would hope or any Bear fan. He got an interception. He was strip sacking. He did everything. And, uh, and that was a really exciting time. But unfortunately, Mitch didn't work out. And then as you look, We've given away a lot of draft choices. The draft choices, at least the first and second round, haven't really worked out in a consistent way. So that, that's what we're looking for is consistency. And then, of course, you know, you have to be very consistent at quarterback or you're not going to succeed in the NFL. Gary, why do you think Matt Nagy has not worked out as the head coach of the Chicago Bears? Wish I knew. Really good guy. But, you know, and that's really the shame. He's a good man. And he communicates. And, you know, I used to look at John Fox, who I like too, but John kind of was old school. Like, I don't need to do anything with the fans. And I'm like, hey, we're customers. You got to, this is a real world. You know, the NFL is getting billions and billions of dollars from TV. And, you know, you owe it to the fans. And, um, you know, Nagy had a really good first year. And then people made the adjustments. And it seems to me that Matt, mentally hasn't made that growth of how to adjust game plans. I could never really figure out, you know, I've talked to John Fox and other defensive coordinators and, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of ex teammates who are in the NFL. I mean, I can talk to Ron Rivera or, you know, Leslie Frazier in Buffalo and, you know, Jeff Fisher and Singletary are all there. And, um, you know, one of the tough things I could never figure out was Buddy Ryan on the sideline would be able to see everything hmm. and make adjustments on the fly. And there were a lot of times when he would say, Hey, look, tell those guys, cause I'd go every TV timeout, I'd go over for the water break and, you know, and then Otis and uh, the linebackers, would say, hey, run the blitz. I mean, it's open. And, you know, Hampton and Denner going run, at stunt. And, you know, I get to the sideline, buddy go, who the hell's running this defense? You know, <laughs> but the great thing about buddy is he listened. He listened. He incorporated that. And he trusted his players. And it seems kind of odd because, you know, Buddy doesn't seem like one of those guys. And, uh, but he did. He listened to his players. And we had to have smart players, too, because a lot of times our defenses, whether it was a blitz or a normal uh, defense, were called automatic front and coverage. We call them AFCs. And you needed to know that that was based on the formation. And so if you went from an eye to a split, guys went in motion, we might be in three different coverages and three different fronts. 
And if you couldn't make those mental adjustments, you were not going to be on the field. So it was, it was a lot of fun to play there. And so I think what I would look is maybe kind of a learning uh, that in his next job, what he's going to have to do is if you look back over the last three seasons, the bears number of points in the third quarter is, is around three. I mean, it's, it's abysmal. And so I don't know what halftime adjustments they're making, but whatever they are, they haven't worked. And so I think that it's the really good coaches have the ability to see the big picture and to make small, but, and maybe not so small adjustments that really you see the difference. And I can tell you on the Sunday night game bears up in Lambeau. Hey, that was a really exciting first half. And as soon as I heard the halftime or the sideline, report, oh, man. he said, Oh, I was talking to Nagy and, and he said, Oh, we're just having so much fun. I was like, I, I taught my family. I go, that's really odd. I mean, I, I would never say <laughs> it's that so odd because it's it's half the game, and boy, within five minutes that game was over. I yes, mean, it was yes. just it was unbelievable how quickly in five minutes we went from yeah yeah to we're done. I mean, we're done. And so um, again, Bears didn't score any points in in that half. So I you know I don't know how you improve that, but making adjustments on the fly is a critical skill. And I think that Matt Nagy, at least in what we have with the offense that he's run with the Chicago Bears, it simply hasn't worked out. Now, Gary, we were insanely fortunate to have Patrick Manley on one of our last episodes, and he mentioned you by name uh, as someone that should at least have a conversation with the front office. So let's say you get a conversation with the front office. What are some of the things that you would say would suggest, I guess, to, to this organization about how they should proceed going forward? You know, I'm, I'm very close to the family. I'm actually the president of the Bears Care, their charitable arm. And so, um, you know, I've already had some comments made uh, previous and I, I hope they take it in the right way. And I know it's very sensitive and hey, if someone was kind of calling me out on some things and it was in the Chicago Tribune, I'm sure I wouldn't appreciate it either. Um, having said that, I would, I would hope, and I'm sure they're doing this, we just aren't aware of it, that they're going to the people they really trust and maybe they should go to some sources that are going to be uncomfortable for them to really say, hey, look, we got to really be transparent and honest about what and how the decisions are being made in this organization, because I think we can all agree we're not uh, satisfied with the results on the field. The financial results, by the way, have been outstanding, right? The NFL continues to generate tremendous returns. So this is really, and I don't question the McCaskies' intent and desire uh, to be a Super Bowl champ. If you go up to Hallis Hall, it's a phenomenal facility. This isn't about spending money. They're, they're doing everything they can. They're going to have salary cap issues next year as a result. So I think it's, it's really a matter of, hey, is the way that you, we are structured today having a chairman and a president and a GM and a head coach and they all kind of go up. Is there a different way of looking at this? 
if um, if you were running a business and you go, wow, you know, that head coach, he's getting paid more than the GM. And and maybe these are equals as opposed to the structure we have right now. That's an example just to look at. But I think it's also just saying, hey, we want to do everything we can to win more games. It's as simple as that. And I have no doubt if you could do a magic wand, they're in the same boat. They want to win at all cost, uh, as long as you know the cost doesn't mean doing something you know irregular, illegal. They, we don't want to be an organization that wins, but you're not quite proud of the way they got there. And so, hey, those are pretty simple. The execution has been the tough part. Along those lines, Gary, to what extent do you feel like there is an openness with the McCaskies or Hallis Hall for former players to give their input? Are they are they insulated and just, hey, we're doing our own thing over here? Or do you feel like former players have some sort of input? I don't think I I don't think players have any input at all. Um, we didn't probably when we were playing. <laughs> so um, I, I think that there are uh, certain people maybe that you might ask for some comments or, you know, but I, I think it's kind of a difficult position because, you know, you have all these talking heads. I'm one of them. And, you know, Kruitz is one of, you know, Hey, Tom, they are all, all these guys. And I think you can learn from them and you'd want that perspective. I'm not quite sure at what level you need to get that. And, you know, to me, if I'm running my business, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm least, I, I have some people that I can trust who will be kind of openly honest with me, transparent. So I'm not, you know, you know, smoking too much here. And um, I hope that George and, and the rest of the family have that. I know they do. I mean, I know, you know, I've talked to George about this a little bit, you know, who does he rely on? He has some, you know, he has many friends in the organization or in, I say the organization in the NFL. It's, it's really, I think, trying to say, does the paradigm change? And what do we need to do? And let's really kind of compartmentalize, you know, scouting, uh, analytics, uh, free agency, all of these different things that you rely upon your general manager to do. But I think that you might want to have a little more uh, discussion uh, more frequently challenging, making sure that, you know, we're just not doing it this way because this is the way we've always done it. It's great to, to pontificate about this, but, you know, you've got to get the right person. And, you know, Jim Thanks was, uh, you know, a tremendous GM and president of the Chicago Bears. And I heard that George Hallis didn't know that they were bringing him in, that Muggsy, his son, brought him in. And I talked to Jim and I would have my battles with him, but, you know, nothing serious. I always re respected him. And of course he did great things with the Minnesota Vikings. And I think he kind of, before he left, kind of built the foundation for what turned out to be the 85 Bears. Jim was with the New Orleans Saints and I was doing radio for the Bears and I had breakfast with him. And I was thinking about changing my job because, you know, you come out of football and you're like, 30 years old, if you've had a great career or even older. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe I want to get back into football management. And I, I had breakfast with Jim and I was kind of nervous to ask him about this. 
but he was very positive. He goes, Hey, you know what? I think you'd be great with your Yale background, MBA, 12 years. Da, da, da. I was kind of taken aback. And, um, but he said, Hey, you've got to make two moves, five years. I'll support you on this. And I just couldn't make the two moves. You know, I'm, I'm a Chicago guy. And I, you know, Hey, there are a lot of great cities uh, in the United States, but there are some NFL cities like, you know, I, I, I've never really spent a lot of time in Houston. Don't really think I'm going to be too happy if I was going to Cincinnati after growing up in Chicago. But, you know, that being said, I was at least encouraged that Jim thought I had that potential to be, you know, in football management. So, hey, you know, I had my chance. I didn't pick it. And so moved on to something else. Is there a young player or players that you're just really watching closely, someone that you're really excited about? Uh, Roquan Smith. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. There's no question about that. I guess the question I would have, I always think about this is that, okay, we have you and I, we all have 100 pennies. Where are we going to spend those pennies at what position? Because everybody knows quarterbacks the most important, but you only have a hundred pennies. So, okay. You need an outside rush. I think you'd really need a cornerback or two good cornerbacks. What about an inside linebacker on a three, four? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, so what if, you know, that guy turns into Superman, but you're like, I only have so many dollars I can spend. Can I afford to spend a lot of money at a position that isn't as critical? I don't know the answer to that question. And the bears are going to have to face that here in the next couple of years, because he has, uh, you know, he's got the energy. He's just, he's just a tremendous player. Nobody has to, all you have to do is watch tape or watch the game. And you hear this guy and, you're looking, he's making plays all over the place. Mine's a little bit on his lateral uh, speed, a little bit of like Brian Urlacher. Totally different athletes and everything, but, you know, they're showing up and go, how did that guy get there? Gary, is there any messages that you would like to send to Chicago Bear fans or, or something that you wish Bear fans knew or understood uh, about playing, about the Chicago Bears, about being part of the organization? You know, I, I think most people know it's, it's such a, you know, you are such rarefied error when you make any NFL team. Hmm. And, um, you know, one of the differences, I think, when you are in college, you're, you're really looking at yourself. But you're, you're usually like, I can imagine if Dan Hampton was down in Arkansas that, or Steve McMichael at the University of Texas – that they could handle their job and maybe they knew the tackle next to them or end wasn't as good. And they would kind of almost like unconsciously just kind of make up for that. You know, I'll take your spot and my spot and don't worry, I'll I'll be able to handle both of them. And the pros, you just can't do that. It's like everybody needs to be a team guy, but you need to be an individual first because if you get, I'm getting graded on every single play and by the next day, they've graded everybody on every play. And sometimes when you lose a game, you think, God, it's dark in that film room. Because you know what? You get a touchdown over your head or whatever, and or you miss a tackle and the guy goes for touchdown. You're back and forth, back and forth. It's like, you know, I'm Catholic, like. Okay, I admit I made the mistake. I'll take five Hail Marys and a couple of our fathers, but can we move on to the next play? And uh, But it's cathartic because nobody scores a 100. And so 
and you get done with that and it's move on. You got to erase it because we've got another game in another week. And when you start, you know, getting into really good teams where you're winning more than you're losing, it's just really fun to be a part of there. And, you know, guys are kidding one another and laughing and enjoying being part of a team. So as much as it is really important to think individually and you can't make up for somebody's deficiencies, you also have to be harmonized as a team, as a unit, if you're really going to succeed. And that isn't just offense uh, players or units or defensive units. When Ditka became the head coach, he noticed, and we were up at Hallis Hall in Lake Forest, and you know, there's no like McDonald's nearby. And so we would always, uh, on Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe on Friday, you have one person would buy lunch for the defensive team and one for the offensive team. And it always started, the rookies had to, you know, they were the first in line to buy everybody a meal. And Dickie became coach and he said, look, we got to win and lose as a team. And he noticed this and he goes, Hey, I think it's great. That you guys are, you know, people are buying lunch, but we're going to win and lose and eat lunch as a team. And I don't think we, we understood it was such a simple thing. But you're like, wow, you know what? We're isolating ourselves uh, voluntarily. And Ditka brought everybody together, you know, win, lose, boom, we're doing it together. And that was really kind of the beginning of, you know, hey, we're on a different path because the expectations and the, I hate to say culture because it's almost a negative word in today's context, but it really does take a culture to be able to you know, bring everybody together. And, um, you know, it was a great for me to, to last as long as I did as a free agent and to play with Walter for all those different years and to be on one of the great defenses ever. I mean, it was really fun, especially when you knew that the offensive line really didn't, couldn't really cope with the front seven that we had. Oh, man. You know, there would be times when you're looking and those guys are just – uh, in the huddle, you know, whether it's Richard or Hamper or, or Steve McMichael going, we're eating these guys up. And as a free safety, you know, if you had a blitz, you take like, I wouldn't be like backpedaling like 10 yards. I go one, two, th- and boom. I mean, because the, the blitz was, you knew, you could almost see it, particularly from free safety. You can see whether or not they had the right lineup. You know, we had this 46 blitz where we had both Otis and Wilbur on the same side. And if the back wasn't on that side, there's no way he could get across to stop those two. And so then you knew, and Wilbur and Otis knew that that tight end, whoever he took, the other guy was getting a free path for the blitz. Oh, it was so, and you knew it. I could see it. And so I take like two steps and go, boom, it's that guy's going down. It wasn't even fair for the offense. Well, it's fun not to be, man. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've run into a lot of ex-players over the decades, and uh, you bring up some of the plays that, uh, you know, Wilbur or Otis uh, had hit some guys, and you're like, wow. I was on with Doug Buffone on the score years ago, and uh, we had Archie Manning on. And at the end of his career, he was with the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, he said that, uh, he's there and he's in the prep during the week. He says, you know, if they run this blitz from this formation, we really 
can't cover it. They go, oh, Archie, they've never run that blitz. They ne- don't even worry about it. We ran it all night long. I mean, I, you got to the point where you're like, oh, my God, I hope Archie's okay. I mean, because everybody really liked Archie, but he, oh, I mean, it was, you know, third or fourth time when you go, you know, nobody's touching you and you're going and hitting them from the blind side. Oh, you feel feel bad. Then you have guys like, you know, I was doing a blitz one time where Singletary and I would be in the gap. So one side uh, or the other on the center and we're playing the, uh, the Raiders. <laughs> and uh, and their Stabler is looking at me and he, during his audible looks and goes, Hey Gary, how's it going? And then it just, <laughs> kept going. It just kept going. I go, wow. I don't know. How cool can you be when you are in giving some audible and you're talking to the opponent? I was like, man, that, that's cool. Gary, we know your time is incredibly valuable. Is it okay if we just hit you with a couple quick hitters? Sure. These aren't necessarily even Bears questions, but inquiring minds, we want to know. The greatest debate of this podcast that we've had, it has spawned many office debates, uh, many office arguments, rather. Are you a chocolate or golden Oreo guy? Which, which is it going to be? Oh, I don't even know if I've ever had really a golden Oreo. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm definitely the, you know, the chocolate. Now I'm not a big chocolate guy, so I'm really going for the cream inside. To be honest with you, I can even scrape, you know, get the top off and just scrape it. Yeah. Along those lines, Ryan sent me the profile of you from, I think it was Forbes and, and Sports Illustrated, and. You look great. Like, what do you do to stay oh. in shape? Ryan and I are like, if I look like that. You, you know, stole my question. What, what, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I thank you for that. But, um, you know, I, I still work out, although it's, get, it's getting hard to do that. Like, I was like, oh, I don't ski as much as I used to. Well, my knees, yeah, I don't have artificial knees yet. But it's not like they're not creaking. And, you know, I like tore my rotator cuff playing tennis and ruptured my Achilles playing tennis. I, I was like, wow, I, I'm getting hurt more playing tennis than I ever did playing football. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm on a keto diet. You know, I do, you know, watch my weight. And, you know, I, I weigh, I take a lot of pride. My wife hates this, but I weigh myself every single day. And I weigh right now what I weighed uh, when I graduated from college. That's incredible. So, yeah. Now, I'm, I can tell you the body fat isn't the same, but, it, um, but I do feel good about that. And because I've seen guys, you know, I know that if you really start ballooning up and, you know, some of my teammates have gained 100 pounds and I mean, you know, guys like Thayer and oh, my God, Hilgenberg, Hilgenberg's lost over 100 pounds. And it's incredible. Amazed. Every time I see him, I go, hey, I, I'm down to 185. He goes, oh, I'm 182. I go, you're 182 pounds? And he doesn't care, man. He looks, he looks great. He, uh, and so, you know, to me, it's just, you know, being active and, um, you know, I'm still bad at golf. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get, I'm not too bad now right now on pickleball, but who even knows who the hell, you know, but it's pickleball, you, you know, you have to move a little bit. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I, it, it does, Richard Thaler, uh, who's, you know, a Nobel prize winner in uh, behavioral economics, is a friend of mine. He's really into football and stats and all that. And I was, you know, I play golf with him and I said, Hey Richard, um, you know, what do you do for exercise? Oh, he says, you know, I, I used to love to play singles tennis. And I go, Oh, that's, I used to love to do that too. He says, but you know, as you get a little bit older, you start playing a little more doubles tennis. And I go, no, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. 
And he goes, and then, you know, you start playing pickleball or something like that. And, uh, you know, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but, uh, you know, ride my bike and uh, just, you know, that scale, it's kind of like, uh, hey, the score tells you how good you are one way or another. So what Parcel said, that scale tells you a lot too. You know, you can say, oh, you know, and I'm only like three or four pounds, but, you know, you start bulking up and uh, and you see some of your teammates and they always encourage you going, oh, you look like, you know, whatever. And they go, oh, thanks a lot for the compliment. But, you know, for me, it's, it hasn't been that difficult. Sure. The most inspirational teacher you ever had in your life and the most difficult class you ever took. Well, the most difficult class had to be, you know, either it had to be probably statistics. You know, so I got into business school and um, at Kellogg in Northwestern and I was an English history major. So my first class was like uh, accounting and I'm like, oh, and then, but stats, I took the stats, opened up the book and go, where are the words? I mean, it was like, oh, what am I doing this for? Uh, but I aced it and it just started giving me a lot more confidence that I could get through this. And I think having that MBA going into uh, the real world uh, in, the mid, in my early thirties was very helpful. Um, in terms of my best teacher, high school, college, it doesn't really matter. Or it could be whatever you want. You know, I really think of, I had an English teacher at uh, Barrington High School, Charles White, who really encouraged me to go to Yale. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about it and I was getting recruited for football, but I wasn't really sure about the Ivy League. And uh, he really encouraged me that it would be a life-changing event, which it, it definitely turned out to be. And so I had a lot of great teachers at, uh, at Yale University. It was pretty amazing. And I had some really good professors that I liked at Northwestern as well. So, um, you know, each one of those is a little bit different. It's not as easy to go to business school where I pretty much in the off season go full time and then two nights a week. I was single the whole time to play football. Two nights a week, I would come back and, and go to Kellogg at night. And people would be, you know, I, you know, you're a baby banker or whatever industry you're in, you got a couple of kids and you live out in the suburbs and you're going to business school at night. I mean, you are so tired and dedicated. I give them a lot of credit where for me, it was like, Hey, you know, I, yeah, I had a nice day of practice, come down, listen to a couple of lectures. And, uh, you know, I, I had the big table. So people would come over, okay, who's got a, who, who can we have a group uh, get together with? I go, yeah, I, I got a 10 into a 10 foot table. Right? never gets used maybe two or three times a year. And so that was a, that was a fun experience, but, but there was nothing like Yale. That was really cool. And I studied for a semester, my junior year. I think I was probably the only person who did a a junior semester abroad. And uh, I was an English history major. And so I did some research over in London for a semester. So, um, you know, that, that was a great experience. I'm a big Anglophile. I love it. We have an office in London you know, any, anytime I have an opportunity to go over there. Uh, yep. I love it. Absolutely. We, we have a, a very uh, passionate listener base in the UK. So they will love, love oh, to gosh. hear that. I, you know, we had the, we played a preseason game at Wembley after uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. And that was great because I hated the Cowboys. I still hate the Cowboys. Anytime <laughs> I watch TV, whoever the Cowboys are playing, boom, I, that's who I'm going for, you know? And, um, I had one of my close friends 
had come over and I said, look, I've got an extra two tickets. I just want you to give them away to somebody. And so we did that. And, uh, you know, these, the, the group or the couple were from Ireland and then they sent me all this stuff. And, uh, it was a little, like I had a little, uh, friend over in Ireland after that for about a decade. And, you know, when we went to that game, it was really fun because it was a, you know, it was like, wow, uh, we were a Super Bowl team and we were invited the night before to the Bee Gees. They, they were, they had a place up near Oxford and it wasn't so much the Bee Gees. I mean, it was great. On you know, Bee Gees were big at the time, but uh, Eric Clapton was supposed to be at the party and that's why we went. So it was Van Horn, me, had to be Marjoram and Bill Smith, our photographer. So we, we go up there and the English cabs, they know London like the back of their hands. They, you get outside of London, they don't know anything. We got, <laughs> we got there, we had, had the guy, we had to pay him to just stay there. And so no air clapped. And we're like, oh God, this is why I really, why we came. Ringo Starr was there with no. Art Bach, his wife. Oh my God. He, he was so trashed. He was trashed. <laughs> it was unbelievable how drunk he was. We wanted to take a group picture. He he was stumbling. He couldn't do it. And then we were a little late because the cab couldn't find his way back to London. And we were a little late missing the curfew going, oh, gosh, I hope we don't get fined for this. And then we came back on that trip where we had to stop in Ireland because you couldn't. Uh, there were pollution rules. Uh, we had to get more gas. And then we flew to O'Hare and then we flew to Iowa and then we took a bus back and we were practicing up in, uh, in Wisconsin, Platteville, and they did a drug test. <laughs> we, did a, we, we went on strike. The 85 team went on strike. We were like, hey, you can't, we talked to the Players Association, you can't do that. And we, I think we missed one or two days. I know it was at least one full day of practice. <laughs> And I remember being with Michael McCaskey and Ditka and the team captains are going, do you think we're hiding something? Like someone like <laughs> Michael McCaskey goes, yes. I was like, oh, oh okay. Just wondering. <laughs> but yeah, that 85 team. And, and I guess, you know, whether it was just the cockiness of, Hey, we were bigger than life for that short period of time. It was a lot of fun. I, I had never heard that that story about oh, right. That's really wild. Oh gosh, it was it was wild. Clap, <laughs> Clapton was my first concert. That's the first concert I ever went to to see Eric Clapton. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah we, well, it. Um, wish we could have seen it. Although you know, it's neat is that I did some. Uh, pub, I did a publicity tour, so uh, I went there with Keith Van Horn about a month before, right during Wimbledon, and so. Uh, gosh, the people we met at Wimbledon were amazing. You know, Maria Navratilova. I'd gotten to know uh, Johnny Mack, John McEnroe, who's still to this day I'm, I'm good friends with. And uh, and I had my closest friends there because, uh, and I go, Michael, Michael, who, who's a big film buff. And uh, Michael, 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 come on. Oh, I'll, I'll be there. I'm talking to Cary Grant. I'm talking to Cary Grant. That's and, uh, and he went away. You know, we were in a VIP tent. And I go, Michael, I, I wanted to introduce you to Cary Grant. What did, what did you tell me? I, go, I, I was telling you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, this was like, you know, we'd have guys on the sideline, you know, rock stars, man. It was, it was cool. 
Very, very cool. Gary, I think, let me give you two options. You take the one you like. So either A, as long as we did a little international scene, the worst vacation that you've ever been on, or B, the funniest story, the, 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 the most elaborate prank, just something that just made you laugh till you cried either when you were in Yale or, or with the Bears. <laughs> well, since I always this always comes back to haunt me, I'm go I'm going to go with the the former one. Worst okay. worst vacation, you know. I'm just uh, I guess I found this out. I you if you go on a cruise, uh, I and I don't I haven't been on one like for decades. So, but I went on a cruise and I, yeah, I'm sure it was a Bears cruise. There was four or five of us. It was free, and um, you know, I didn't realize you're on their schedule. You're not on your schedule. You're on their schedule. You come into the port and all of a sudden, I think they take the signs and you're like, this, oh, this is $10. Oh, it's $20 now. And, you know, because you've got like 200 people getting off of a ship and you're all doing the same thing. And then you come back on and then you go to the next place. And I was like, I'm going on vacation where I control my own schedule. Absolutely. I don't want to be on someone else. That's the worst thing. So I've never gone on another cruise. It's just, uh, wow, that that was clearly the worst. You know, I've had great vacations. I mean, you know, our, I took our kids. We went to Mexico last year. My wife and I just, we went, you know, this is kind of, we went in late August, early September for two and a half weeks to Africa. Wow. Yeah, we were in Botswana and South Africa. And if it had been two months later, we'd still be there because we wouldn't be able to get back to the United States. And so that was unbelievably cool. I mean, that was near one of the top um, uh, vacations I've ever had. And, you know, just on nice ones. When I was in 84, I get two interceptions off Montana. We lose, ah, we lose to the 49ers. And I go, you know, I'm never going to get three months off in my real life after football. And I've never been to Asia. So I took off for Asia and I was there for three months or two, two months. And I knew one person in Sydney, Australia. And I, you know, I dove on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, I, I was in Australia. I went to Bali, went into uh, Thailand, Philippines. Hong Kong. I went into China in 1984. You can't wow. I mean, wow. like, and we have an office there. You know, our, our company has an office now. And when Barack Obama, this is like over 10 years ago, was being inaugurated, I hadn't been there since 1984. So I took off for a day after our three day meeting and went to Shanghai. And Shanghai, I felt like Rip Van Winkle. It had changed so dramatically. Like one, I, I I was staying in a Hyatt where everything across the river at that time in the Pudong area was a rice field. And now it's like downtown LA. And you're like, in my lifetime. I mean, it was, it was really amazing. Cause they, the, the Chinese government really didn't start rejuvenating or whatever term you want to use for uh, Shanghai until like 1992. And so it, it changed dramatically. So, you know, I know you were talking about, you know, what about, bad vacation I, I i always think about you know i've never been really really sick on one that would be a, yeah. got a little sick in uh, in bali but a couple girls from boston helped me out i mean i thought it was really good you know was it was i going to make it out of bali but uh, you know those those were great great vacations gary we just want to say thank you so very much for well, offering 
offering up your time. This was, I just, we, we could sit here and talk for hours, but we know that <laughs> your time is precious and uh, we want to let you uh, go. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. Great. Go Bears. Take care. Jack, I just want to take a moment and just think about this. The podcast started just a little over a year ago with you, me, Mike Page, and Logan Bradley just sitting, talking bears. And we just talked to a Chicago bear icon for 45 plus minutes. Can you, can you put that into perspective? It's, it's hard to, especially as a child watching him on TV in the years leading up to the Super Bowl and then watching them win the Super Bowl. I mean, we're talking iconic levels with like Walter Payton and Singletary and Gary Fensick. They all just are one big Mount Rushmore of Bears greatness. So for us to be able to just to just chat with him for, uh, you know, an hour, that was really cool. He's such a cool guy. I, I was going to say this. I, I cannot believe how kind, generous, just he couldn't have been more down to earth and a, and a greater guy. Like just, it's not possible. Yeah. And you, and you just never know, right? We've never been in that spotlight or had any level of fame. And we've seen, you know, all various types of results when it comes to famous people and the way they come off, you know, outside of the bright lights. I always think it's so cool when somebody like Gary, when you are actually one-on-one with him, you're still getting a, a pure, honest, chill, hey, let's just shoot the shit for a little while and talk about Bears football. To me, that that was really impressive. If Gary, for some way, somehow, if you're still listening, uh, we, we offered, we said, we wish we could buy you a beer. And he said, it's not necessary at this point in his career, but man, we sure wish we could uh, just to sit and chat. I mean, obviously, you know, just the the life experience too that he has traveling outside the United States. And, you know, I, I, there, there's a lot of other stuff totally un bear related that I just, I would be thrilled to talk to him about. Do you know what I mean? Me too. I was curious, for instance, to see like, he seems to have such a great worldview. I was, you know, if we had more time, I was going to ask him is that it was his, his parents. Did they instill that in him? Because, you know, from going to Asia to Africa, to having the foresight to start business classes so that that transition from, you know, post pro football life wouldn't be as difficult as we've seen it be for a lot of athletes. He just, there's this like worldliness that he has that I thought was uh, just, where does that come from? That's really cool. I don't think this is crazy. I don't think I was starstruck until the very end of the interview. I know that seems crazy, but so when, you know, we had Adrian Peterson on, I think you can hear it in my voice, you know, like I am just really nervous at the beginning of it, you know, just because this has got in just as a, as he started to tell these stories, like, oh yeah, he played with Walter Payton for his entire career. You know, he's name dropping these, you know, these coaches and just like, oh, and I was in a meeting with Ditka and you're talking about having great culture. And you're like, yeah, dude, <laughs> off Joe Montana twice. Intercepts Joe Montana. Just, I mean, wow. 30, okay. 30, 38 interceptions. Like, like put that into great. Okay. So we, we, we've, we've had Kevin Nalewski on Kevin, uh, for those that don't know, um, who is our, our Vikings guy, uh, played DB his entire career, played it at, at North central college, played at a pretty high level. Um, and we, we were just talking about that. He's like, Oh yeah, that guy, dude, he like the interceptor, man, like not Nathan Vasher, the interceptor, but like 38 picks. He goes, that guy is in the mind of that offense. And it's like clearly absolutely brilliant man. And just incredible. 
And I think too, when you go back and think about the level of pressure that that front seven was putting out, as he alluded to, those interceptions were largely a product of that pressure. And I think if you add to the fact that he's a ball hawk, right? So I guess I'm just thinking a little bit about our current team and we've had some pretty good front seven play for the most part lately. We don't have a ball hawk, you know, and that's been, it's been a real gap for this particular Bears team. He, he was he, so good at it. He didn't say it outright, but I just think in my head, if that dude was in some front office position, I, I think Jack, you, you and I were kind of talking about it off, off recording, which is he's just, he is a head first passion, you know, lead, you know, just go for it kind of guy. And I just, I think that's a bit of the mentality that they need in that front office. And I don't know that that's something that he would take. I know Manley kind of mentioned it. I, I would, you know, I don't know if he would be perfect at it, but, but he has my vote a hundred percent. He seems so equipped to do it on so many levels. And I know we just talked to him for a brief moment of, of time, but both the time in which he was on recording. And then for me, really a little bit of afterwards where it seemed like, you know, you can let the guard down a little bit. He did. I just think he would have that ability from the intellectual level to do it. He has great communication skills. He he has that element where they talked about pace being, you know, too nice recently. I think Gary's a good guy, but we saw it on the field. He can go for the juggler if needed. And I think he could do that from an operational standpoint as well. He would have the, the friends in the business, I think, or at least I, I, I imagine he would still have some connections. I think it would be an upgrade, a, a huge upgrade. Well, especially with his financial background, which we didn't get to talk about too much, mm-hmm. but obviously that's that's a guy that has the financial acumen to to look at this organization. And I mean, he would he went to Yale. Like, of course, right. he's smart enough. Do you know? That's a great point because he could handle the cap and he could, you know, do the supplemental draft and he would be able to that logistics, you know, the sheer numbers of it. He would have a great beat on. Man, I, I, everyone's going to hear it. We're fanboys. I mean, right now we are. Yeah. I think, I hope throughout the interview, we, we stayed calm, cool, and collective as, as we were hoping to, you know, be professional, just the way that we started out this podcast. But at the end of it, why did we start this podcast? Because we're diehard bear fans. Like Jack and I were, were mentioning this folks, and we're, we're going to kind of wrap it up here in a second, but we started this whole thing. Uh, largely because we 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 got to to have a tour. We were super lucky to have a tour of Soldier Field. We're standing on the field, and you could just see it in our faces. And you could you could you know we go into the the guest locker room, not even the the, the home locker room. And I think both of us kind of looked at each other, J Dubs, and we were just kind of like, you know, we we wanted to do this, so maybe. And then Mike Page just kind of handed us the outlet to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we stood on that field, I think both of us had the same thought simultaneously about guys like Fensick or, you know, Walter Payton may have run out of bounds somewhere where we're standing right now, you know? And so I think we were able to take some of that element of us just debating and arguing and, you know, in the, in the office combined with, you know, like this deep love of the bears that we've had for a long, long time, Mike Page came into it and then Shagru and then Sheldon and Logan. It's really been, it's been a fun ride, I think for, for us so far to be able to, I don't know, like that's just to live out like the idea of meeting one of your, one of your bear heroes. I, I would think there's a lot of listeners that can appreciate that very much. So, especially if they went through those lean years and watched Fensic play all that time. 
Dude, I, I'm, I'm going to say this and I, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I think you, you know, you were there firsthand the San Francisco game kind of broke me. And I really started asking serious questions. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we following this team? I, I I'm not blowing smoke here. Like, I don't think I've been this fired up to be a bears fan this entire season, you know, and just to hear some of the things that he shared both on this recording and off this recording that I just, you know, thank, thank you, Gary Fensick for, for revitalizing me as a bears fan. All right, folks, before Jack and I get out of here, we just want to say thank you to all of you who are listening. Uh, Dave, Derek, Anthony, Noel, and even Ozzy too. Like we talked mostly about the UK, but he also talked about his Australia trip. I hope you were listening and I hope you got fired up because that dude loves it, loves it, loves it. And uh, we have a huge, huge shout out to give to Harvey Rose is one of the biggest bears fans and biggest Cubs fans. Sorry, Jack, that I have ever met in my entire life. And every time he and I get together, we talk just sports nonstop, but, but, but it's special when we talk about the bears and he's the one that kind of set up this interview and Harvey, if, if you're still listening, I, we mean every single word. This, this was truly special, a gift that you've given to us. And we are just forever grateful for that. And I know all of our listeners are for are forever grateful for this gift that you've given us. So Harvey Rose, you are our only shout out. Uh, so thank you. And of course, bear down to you, Harvey. If you've liked this episode, if this is your first Bear Down Report podcast, please check out our post-game pods. We have an absolute blast talking with Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, Jack Wright, and myself. You can listen to any one of those episodes and you will definitely laugh. Hopefully you learn a little something. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. If you really like what you hear, you can hit us with a five-star review because that really helps to widen our audience. But if you have loved what you've heard, you can do uh, like a couple of our listeners have done. You can go to beardownreport.com. You can click on the podcast link, any one of the podcast episodes, and there's a donate button. You can buy us a round of beers. Let us know that you did it, and we will shout you out on this podcast. For Jack Wright, Brandon Chagru and Patrick Sheldon, they're not here, but they're here with us in spirit. I'm Ryan Dangle. For all of us at the Bear Down Report, thank you so much, folks. And as always, bear down.